the purpose of Revelation is not just to promote or help us to speculate about the future. There is a bigger point about Revelation, about the things that are to come. Um, and we just covered a section of script of Revelation where there were these series of trumpets. And the trumpets throughout Scripture were blown to warn of the coming judgment, but also to announce victorious salvation. And Jesus says in the Gospels that with a trumpet, he will gather all the people for judgment or salvation at his return. And an example of this this. Uh, this trumpet call is the fall of the walls of Jericho. If you'll remember, the trumpets were blown as God's people march around Jericho. Now, those trumpet calls meant different things to different people, didn't they? Uh, for the people that were within the walls of Jericho, the trumpets evoked a terror of what was about to occur. But for the people of God, the trumpet was a remembrance and a... Um, in kind of a gathering of the victory that God was going to give them. And the trumpets of Revelation will be the same exact thing. They will mean judgment or salvation, victory or ruin, depending on who you are and whom you placed your trust. Uh, another example would be uh, the trumpet calls of a mighty army, maybe the Roman army or uh, the the uh, trumpet bugle calls of the United States Army uh, could be a terror-invoking sound if you're one of the uh, barbaric tribes that Roman's army was about to conquer or to someone that was having to face the U.S. Army. But to those that were on the side of that trumpet call, it was a rallying call, a rallying cry, and a remembrance of our victory that we have in Jesus Christ. So where we stand and how we hear these trumpet calls of God depend on whether or not we've turned to him. And we saw last week how tragic it is, uh, Revelation chapter 9, that the rest of mankind who were not killed by the plagues still did not repent of the works of their hands, nor give up worshiping demons or idols of gold or silver, bronze and stone and wood, which can't even see or hear or walk nor did they repent of their murders or their sorceries or their sexual immorality or their thefts. And so as the trumpet of God is, is called and as his trumpets are called and this judgment goes forth, uh, folks will either turn to him and be saved or they will relish in their existing salvation or they will further rebel. That's, that's the striking thing that's incredible. One commentator says, nowhere will you find a more accurate picture of sinful humanity pressed to the extreme. One would think that the terrors of God's wrath would bring rebels to their knees. Not so. Past the point of no return, they respond with greater punishment and increased rebellion. Such is sinful nature untouched and unmoved by the mercies of God. Even when Jesus walked the face of the earth, he says, my resurrection won't even be enough to convince these people. But it has convinced us. Amen. We're convinced and we are within that family of God that here's the trumpet call, not as a judgment for us, but as a call to war. Not like the jihadist of Islam or uh, even in like the crusaders in the past. But the reality that we need to recognize today 
we're in a spiritual war. We're at war right now spiritually. Not with flesh and blood, Paul says in Galatians, but with the spiritual forces of evil in this world. It is a war that we're at. We're not in peacetime, we're in wartime. And that war, as we see in Revelation, uh, it's not necessarily happened chronologically. It's building up. Oh, it's getting more and more intense over the course of the book of Revelation. And this message that we see in, in chapter 7, 8, 9, it, it compels us to action as we start to see these sevenfold tribulations unfolding on the earth. It reminds us of our role in this world and of what we're experiencing and what, what the Christians at that time will also experience. Battle, warfare with the forces of evil. There are demons out that want to destroy the people of God. There's a battle going on right now to win the hearts and souls of God's creation. And we got to recognize that that battle exists. And so we got to put our trust in the commander who has the power to win the battle. And when you're in that army with all the power, you no longer fear that army's trumpet call, but you are enthused, you are, in, you are encouraged, you are, you're given strength uh, you are renewed to hear that because you're reminded of your own pending victory. In Revelation chapter 8, it says this, verse 2 through 6. I saw seven angels who stand before God, and seven trumpets were given to them. And another angel came and stood at the altar with a golden censer, and he was given much incense to offer with the prayers of all the saints on the golden altar before the throne. And the smoke of incense with the prayers of the saints rose before God from the hand of the angel. Then the angel took the censer and filled it with fire from the altar and threw it on the earth. And there were peals of thunder, rumblings, flashings of lightning, and an earthquake. Now the seven angels who had the seven trumpets prepared to blow them. What does this passage teach us? It teaches us that there is a relationship between God's actions and the prayers of his saints. We often think that we're just waiting, you know, that we're, at, we're just, it's just a waiting game for when God is going to act. But this passage shows that the saints of God are very much involved in the struggle for redeeming the lost world and the judgment that comes to the world. And how are they involved? By offering prayer up to the creator. Those prayers are not ignored. Our cries go up. The kingdom of heaven comes down. This is what Jesus says when he cries in the Lord's Prayer. Thy kingdom come, thy will be done on earth as it is in heaven. God, cry, Jesus cries out in the Lord's Prayer, the, the perfect prayer, we might say, the example prayer, as he said, the model prayer, that whenever we ask God to send his kingdom down, it's effective and ideal prayer. It's what we ought to be praying. What, what are the real master powers behind the world? And what are the deeper secrets of our destiny? Here is the astonishing answer from this text. The prayers of the saints and the fire of God. That means that more potent and more powerful than all the dark and mighty forces let loose on this world, more powerful than anything else is the power of prayer set ablaze by the fire of God cast upon the earth. We're involved even to the end. We're going to pause now and have our time of prayer.
Now we go to the text for today. <laughs> that was just your pre-sermon. We're going to be in Revelation chapter 11. It won't be, I'm not going to be dilly-dallying too long. But we have a response to this reality that I've just uncovered. And our response in light of all this is to pray, to speak the truth of God, and to stand for God whenever things get difficult and the, the battle against evil becomes more and more clear. God in Revelation 10 and 11 starts to spell out here and show the important role or the, the critical role of, of the prophets and the prophecy. And we often think of prophecy as telling the future, but that's not biblically what it, what it is. Prophecy is speaking boldly the word of God, even in a context where it won't be received well. And then we are given assurance now as we, as we think about our role in a, in a world that is becoming more and more rebellious against God. Our role is to pray, to speak for God, and to stand for God. And God calls us to that. In Revelation 9 and 10, you see the prophets, and it's, it's couched in symbolic terms, but you also see uh, God's people offering up these prayers and, and standing firm in the face of challenge. And so I close today on chapter 11, sharing some insight from the text, from chapter 11, about how we deal with the challenge of that. Now, have y'all ever watched a football game for your favorite team that was recorded and you already knew who was going to win? Now, I've watched the Florida game that Aggies play. I don't have cable, so I got someone to record it for me. And I knew the Aggies had beaten Florida, so last week I watched that game recorded. It's a whole different experience when it's, since I know the Aggies are going to win than it is if, I, if I'm left in suspense. Uh, when you watch it live, you don't know what's going to happen, who's going to be injured, how it's going to play out. But when you know the outcome ahead of time, it changes it to a much more relaxed and a kind of a joyful experience. It's not as thrilling, but it's, but it's, but it's, it's comfortable. You know, I'm relaxed and I'm, I'm well aware of what's going to happen. And so I can just enjoy uh, the game. Now it's not a perfect analogy, but it's kind of goes along with what we have in revelation chapter 11, where God is giving us a glimpse of the outcome so that as we go through the challenges and difficulties of everyday life, we already know exactly what we're going to face. And so it, it encourages us. It, it literally puts courage into us. It gives us strength uh, to go on. Now I'm going to read Revelation chapter 11 to you now. I was given a reed like a measuring rod and told, go and measure the temple of God and the altar with its worshipers, but exclude the outer court. Do not measure it because it has been given to the Gentiles. They will trample on the holy city for 42 months, and I will appoint my witnesses, and they will prophesy for 1260 days clothed in ash cloth. They are the two olive trees, the two lampstands, and they stand before the Lord of the earth. If anyone tries to harm them, fire comes from their mouths and devours their enemies. This is how anyone who wants to harm them must die. They have the power to shut up the heavens so that it will not rain during the time they are prophesying. They have the power to turn the waters into blood and to strike the earth with every kind of plague as often as they want. Now, when they finish their testimony, verse 7, 
The beast that comes up from the abyss will attack them and overpower and kill them. Their bodies will lie in the public square of the great city, which is figuratively called Sodom and Egypt, where also their Lord was crucified. For three and a half days, some of every people, tribe, tongue, and nation will gaze on their bodies and refuse them burial. The inhabitants of the earth will gloat over them and will celebrate by sending each other gifts because these two prophets had tormented those who live on the earth. But after three and a half days, the breath of life from God entered them, and they stood on their feet, and terror struck those who saw them. Then they heard a loud voice from heaven saying, Come up here. And they went up to heaven in a cloud while their enemies looked on. At that very hour, there was a severe earthquake, and the tent of the city collapsed. 7,000 people were killed. In the earthquake, and the survivors were terrified and gave glory to the God of heaven. The second woe is past, and the third woe is coming. Then there is the seventh trumpet. The kingdom of the world has become the kingdom of our Lord and his Messiah, and he will reign forever and ever. That seventh trumpet brings about this reign. Now, what do we learn from this passage? First of all, I hope you're able to see it looks an awful like, lot like the life of our lord jesus and in fact that's what it definitely bear with me that's what it mirrors quite a bit remember what jesus said and we talked about this last week as you do the will of god you are going to be tried and you're going to go through challenges but god gives you the tools you need he equips you to do his work here on the world now jesus went through and experienced the same suffering. And he says, anyone that follows me will also experience the same kind of suffering. Uh, this time of suffering is expected. It's not a surprise. We, and so, listen, there's application for this for us today. That's the beauty of Revelation. Yeah, it's talking about an intensified version of this, but it applies right now to you and me as well. Our suffering is expected you know, he talks about measuring out the, the court, the temple. And what that means is God is going to mark out his people and protect them. But he also says, don't measure out the court of Gentiles. And what he's saying there is there is going to be trouble. You're going to be trampled on as well. It's going to coexist with this victory that you have here on the earth. There will be a time of suffering that the church will endure before the final trumpet call. Um, this goes along with everything we've read so far. And this, this mirrors the life of Jesus. In fact, these days, 1260 days and so forth, this is, this is the time of Jesus's ministry on earth. And notice that those prophets were dead for three and a half days, but then they were brought back to life. This is the opportunity we have. But we, we know a few other things as well. Our light on earth is unquenchable. Nobody, no enemy has the power to quench the light that we bring to the world. We can lose a lot of things. We can, we can struggle with a lot of things on earth. And if we've staked our hope in those things, we'll be devastated. On the other hand, we have things to bring to the world and to experience ourselves that nobody can touch. The light of God is unquenchable. We're related to lampstands that bring light to the world. And nobody can do anything to those lampstands. We are, we are, we are untouchable in the, that regard. And yes, while we struggle and experience trial over here, we have our hope in this 
place of victory. And we've got nothing to worry about in that sense. Our souls, our very souls are untouchable. In verse five, it says, if anyone would harm them, fire pours out from their mouth and consumes their foe. These people of God are protected by God to do his will. Do you ever get scared of the things that are going in the world? Think, boy, this is going to get harder and harder. Uh, I sometimes have that thought. I'm not going to lie. I think about my daughter and I think, what world is she going to be in? It's getting, it's getting pretty bad, but let's agree on something this morning, church, that if we have our hope in Jesus Christ, we have nothing to fear. Amen. And the, the people that we love and that we disciple, they don't have anything to fear either. No matter how rough this world gets, the Christian ought never be driven by fear, but by power, love, and self-discipline. Our souls are untouchable. Our power that is sourced in God Almighty is invincible. I'm not talking about the power of the earth and the power of the world and the power of the princes of the world. I'm talking about the power of the divine. It's untouchable. It says in verse 6, They have the power to shut the sky that no rain may fall in the days of their prophesying. And when they finish their testimony, they will go through these, this trial and they, will be, they could be put to death. They will be, but the Lord promises that even our death is temporary. Even our death is temporary. After these three and a half days, the breath of life from God enters into them. And our resurrection is sure. Our resurrection is sure. After these prophets were resurrected, then they hear a loud voice from heaven saying, come up here. And they went up to heaven in a cloud and their enemies watched them. This is not anything radically new, is it? All of New Testament teaching says this is what happened to the Christian, that death will not hold the Christian, that resurrection will come to the Christian, and we will meet our Lord in the clouds of the air. Revelation is just telling us here what we already knew. And then we see this seventh angel blowing his trumpet when the mission of God becomes complete. And you think, well, there's still a lot of revelation to go. And again, revelation isn't laid out chronologically. It's giving these series of actions to give us a sense of how things are going to unfold. God in the end will be glorified. His judgments will come. His trumpet will call. But his trumpet is nothing is not something that brings fear to our hearts. It gives us a resounding and powerful sense of victory. We are, we are, uh, I keep saying encouraged. To me, that's the best word. Uh, but we are given a second wind by the remembrance that God's trumpets are going to bring victory to us. It gives us hope in a time of war and in a time of hopelessness. As you think about, the world that we're living in right now, are you fearful or hopeful? Are you experiencing dread or are you experiencing that excitement that slowly builds up because you know your victory is about to come? What are you thinking and feeling on a day-to-day basis? It all depends on where we put our trust and in whose army we are soldiers. And we're not going out to kill the flesh and blood. We are fighting against the enemy, the spiritual forces of darkness. 
And I just want to remind us, one of our biggest weapons is our words. And the enemy wants us to speak his words for him. But instead, we promise to God and to each other today, and I hope you can promise this with me, to strive with all of our heart to speak these words, not Satan's words. And God has called us to speak his words to a broken world. That's how we fight in a, in a dreadful world. That's how we experience it, the victory of God whenever the forces of Satan are on the move, by standing for him, praying to him, and speaking his words, because his words bring life to those around us, and they vanquish the enemy. So this morning, I want to ask, whose army are you in, and whose army are you signed up for? And if we are soldiers in the army of God, not only do we have nothing to fear, but we have a victory ahead of us, plain as day. There is no doubts about it. And how do we respond to this if not to say, let's get as many people on board with this as possible? It gives us, it stirs up within us this desire to reach those who are lost and being manipulated by evil Satan and his demons. We need to rescue the perishing around us.